Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. This podcast is stuffed with data and information on the impact climate change will and is having on children. This is because UNICEF have recently compiled quite literally tons of information providing a country-by-country index named the Children's Climate Risk Index. Today's guests are Maria Pierre Bianchetti, Senior Specialist on Child Rights and Business with the UK Committee for UNICEF, and Nick Rees, who is a Climate and Environment Specialist at UNICEF. Together, they are going to share insight and data from this new index, as well as suggest practical ways all of us, and in particular business, can take action that could reduce children's vulnerability to climate change and environmental shocks so that we can create climate resilience for children and all our futures. Nick, Maria Pierre, welcome. Hi, Katie. Hi, everyone. Thanks for um, hosting me. It's great to be here in the Business Fights Poverty podcast. Hi, Katie. Hi, everyone. Fabulous to be here and to talk about this important topic. Great to have you guys. Thank you for giving us the time. Um, Nick, I wanted to start off our conversation today. I know you've been working on the Children's Climate Change Index. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about the journey that you and and UNICEF have been on to develop this tool? Sure, sure. So in many ways, this this tool, this report, um, is a culmination of about five or six years of of data generation and working to better understand the risks that climate change poses to children. Over the past few years, we've looked at specific issues such as water, air pollution, lead, um, among others. And we felt that we were really at a point now where we've we've compiled enough evidence to put together a composite indicator or index to better understand and articulate the composition of all of those different hazards. And then secondly, there was a, so that was on one hand. And on on the other hand, we also felt there was a crucial missing piece that a lot of current indices and uh, climate predictors that are currently out there. And that is the underlying capacities of countries and communities, uh, specifically children, specifically linked to children. Um, So we wanted to bring that into the model as well. And so that kind of led us to the creation of this of this Children's Climate Risk Index. UNICEF has been a leader in, in humanitarian, as a humanitarian organization globally for, for many decades, but we're also a leader in data. And so household surveys uh, combined with programming. So we have a very good sense of which children are not receiving adequate healthcare, education, water and sanitation, social protection. And so that's where we also kind of really wanted to, we wanted to incorporate a lot of the data that UNICEF collects into this index. And so the index is essentially comprised of these two pillars. The first one, as I mentioned, was the kind of climate and environmental shocks and stresses. We look at a whole range of them from, from sea level rise, coastal, coastal flooding, uh, heat waves, air pollution, uh, soil and water pollution, um, riverine flooding. And we look at how many kids are exposed to all of these different stresses and hazards. 
that also provides us with a lot of information and data too. So for example, we found that like about 400 million children are highly exposed to, cy to cyclones. About 330 million children are highly exposed to riverine flooding. 820 million children are highly exposed to heat waves. So there's a lot of data in, in the specific parts of this index that is, that is also uh, very important to look at specifically. We also look at how many children live in areas where these risk factors overlap. So we, first of all, I'll start by saying that almost every child on the planet is exposed to at least one of the climate and environmental hazards that we look at. But about a third of children globally are exposed to at least four or more of them. And that's particularly worrying because a lot of being exposed to more than just one shock stress or environmental hazard is dangerous because they can trigger, reinforce, and magnify each other. So, for example, you have um, severe weather and cyclones when combined with sea level rise can create storm surges. Another example might be when you have flooding in areas with high levels of lead toxicity, that can cause lead pollution in the ground or contaminated sites to reach waterways and eventually find its way to children. So that, that is all kind of in this first pillar that I was mentioning on the climate risk index. Um, and we, we combine all of that information into pillar one. In pillar two, we look at child-specific vulnerabilities. So that's access to education, health, water and sanitation, social protection, among others. And that's a lot of where UNICEF has been collecting data for a long time as well. And so putting all of this together, we, we have the Children's Climate Risk Index. And what it tells us in a very, very top line sense is that about a billion children, that's nearly half of all children globally, live in extremely high risk areas. They face multiple uh, climate and environment shocks, as well as don't have the capacity, resources and access to the key services that would make them more resilient. And at the same time, we look at this in the context of other factors, such as emissions. The report tells us that um, the most at-risk children, so these, uh, these 33 extremely high-risk countries um, on the index, contribute least to the causes of climate change. The top 33 countries in the index that are extremely high-risk only contribute about 9% of global emissions. And if you just look at the absolute top 10 uh, countries, they only contribute 0.5% of global emissions. So it really drives home the point that the, the children that are bearing the brunt of this crisis are, not, are, are, are contributing least to its causes. Um, so you asked at the beginning, what does this mean for me personally? And I suppose that is really, it's the culmination of the accumulation of evidence that I've been working on with the team um, over the last half decade or so. And what this means for UNICEF and for anyone concerned about this issue is that we now really have a, the first truly child-focused view of uh, climate risk. So Nick, staying with you, clearly those stats are horrific and horrifying, and that's an entire well generation of children and therefore young people coming through who are going to be deeply, deeply affected and not in good ways around climate change. I mean, the effects of climate change are huge they're already taking effect and yet for some reason there's something that it makes it feel as though it's still a long way off like people aren't taking action really not taking it seriously or just feels as though it's something they can sort of put off and put onto the back burner why do you think that is that's a great question and i think it's one that i think many people are asking and there are probably many there's you know like every great question there's many answers to it 
I think one of the reasons is because of where the impacts are being felt now. The greatest burden of the impacts of climate change is currently being felt by the poorest in the poorest places and countries around the world. And then secondly, I think that many of the impacts are slow onset. And so changes in precipitation, temperature, uh, sea level rise, that maybe on a day-to-day basis or even month-to-month or year-to-year basis might not seem like much, but over time, they add up to a lot. And these changes can create imbalances in the ecological system um, that then results in dramatic changes, potentially all at once. But for many places, that dramatic change or series of events is yet to take place, even if it's destined to do so. Um, so even the slightest change to an ecological system, because it's so into, uh, the system is so interconnected with species and natural systems reliant on each other, a change in temperature, for example, can cause one species to die, um, which, has, uh, which other species are dependent on, and hence eventually creates a ripple effect that affects the whole system, including humans. So these are the types of reasons, I think, why the impacts might feel far for many people, especially in wealthy countries. But they're not far off for poor people in low-income countries. I will just say that UNICEF is on the ground in almost every country on Earth, and we've been on the main, if not one of the leading humanitarian organizations dealing with crises, natural and man-made, since our foundation, since 1946. And we're not just in capital cities. We're in rural and remote regions and countries. And so we've seen firsthand, in a way that few others have, the effect of climate change over the last 75 years. We've seen, witnessed the increasing frequency and severity of climatic crises over the last few decades. And we can say with certainty, it's not far off to those people in those communities. It's already here. Maria Pierre, bring you in. Businesses that I've been working with, but you know, it's a small lens really, are often focused when they're talking about climate change in tackling their carbon emissions and looking at their, you know, sustainable sourcing and, and thinking about those sorts of things. Why is thinking about this in terms of children and social impact, why is that so important? What does that mean to the work that you're doing? I mean, the private sector is a crucial actor when it comes to climate change. So reducing greenhouse gas emissions is the only long-term solution to tackling climate change. So businesses that take action to do it is massively important, and it is one of the most critical ways they can do to help protect children from the impacts of climate change. However, as Nick mentioned before, there are also other factors that come to play, such as environmental degradation, access to essential services, risk linked to the green transition, and children have specific vulnerabilities that need to be taken into account. Climate change and environmental arms are intimately connected with child rights, and climate change affects both current and future generation of children. So, for example, children. Uh, are impacted more than adults when it comes to exposure to toxic substances and uh, um, forms of pollution. There is also research that indicates that some minerals that are necessary for the green transition carry risk of child rights abuses. But we also need to think that children have their whole life ahead of them, and which means that any deprivation that comes from climate change and environmental degradation such as, for example, missing out on education, can result in a lifetime of lost opportunity. And future generations will be affected by the economic and social impacts of climate change. 
children are the least responsible for climate change, and yet they will be the greater will bear the greatest burden of its impact. So tackling climate change and environmental arms is clearly part of the business responsibility to respect children's rights, which means that we need businesses to continue to reduce the emissions and to adopt practices that are protective of the environment. But we also need businesses to more proactively look and recognize how the environment and child rights are connected and to take a more integrated approach in their actions. We see some businesses are starting to recognize this interconnection, but we need to accelerate and scale it up. We need, you know, change in how businesses operate, and this is possible for a fair and sustainable future. And this is what we are working towards to support businesses um, achieve this. Nick, you mentioned already that UNICEF, you know, you're on the ground, you've really got experience in this, you're arguably the, the experts in sort of engaging people around the world on humanitarian issues. However, there's a kind of, I don't know, there's a feeling that kind of the scaremongering, the kind of, you know, let's show a poor hungry child sort of after a while, doesn't, it doesn't work in terms of kind of really engaging people. I mean, how do you, from the experience that you guys have got, how do you propose positioning this climate change conversation with people to really kind of get them engaged? And, and therefore, you know, what's your recommendation to others who are potentially listening to this podcast who are thinking, you know, how am I going to engage people around and use this data to really get people moving? You're right. You're right. Scaremongering hasn't necessarily worked, but unfortunately nothing has worked to the extent that it should have. And so what we've tried to do here is position the facts, which isn't scaremongering, it's just the facts about how many children live in really dangerous circumstances as a result of climate change. But at the same time in the report, what we try to do is we want to emphasize solutions um, because there's no point in just pointing to the gloom and doom. We have to do, we have to really do both the facts as well as the solutions to get us out of this crisis. And so one thing we really want to drive home is the point that there are a wide range of solutions that can make a huge difference. Um, Firstly, there are solutions to reduce vulnerability now, providing children with access to health and nutrition, water and sanitation, education, will go a long way to improving their resilience um, from the impacts. A healthier child is more resilient to the impacts of climate change. A more educated child is also more resilient to the impacts of climate change. Even better, we can make these services resilient to climate impacts themselves. So we can make it so that health services can better withstand climate shocks, improvements in supply chains, construction, for example, renewable energy to maintain the cold chain and vaccines, for example, utilize digital connectivity. We we, we can make it so that schools are similarly more resilient, Uh, renewable energy, solar panels on roofs, providing children with the skills and knowledge necessary to manage these shocks. We can plan plan water systems better to account for changing climatic conditions, such as changes in groundwater table levels and surface water uh, runoff, et cetera. So we can make our core programs, key services that children need most, more resilient. Um, And then there are a handful of solutions that would really be transformative, promising ideas. Um, We have them in the report. So for example, one of them is educating every child on climate change. If we could do that, it would be truly transformative. According to some research, recent research, um, if only 16% of high school pupils in high and middle income countries received uh, climate change education, 
carbon dioxide uh, emissions could be reduced by about 19 gigatons by 2050. But education means not, it's not just curriculum, it's everything. So it, it's, it's, it's focusing on the science, how the planet works, how human activity is affecting the climate, not just solar panels and sea level rise, but also topics of climate equity, the role of participation in solving problems. Um, it also means helping children understand more about disaster response of what to do in the case of a flood or a fire or a hurricane. And it really, you know, education means also, you know, providing, helping to provide solutions and action, um, how to make change at home and in your wider community. This could really create a common language for the next generation to discuss climate change, make it easier for them to communicate within one another, foster a sense of solidarity amongst young people to tackle this together, um, rather than be plagued with constant misinformation that we see now everywhere. Um, there are, you know, there are a host of other promising ideas in the report. You know, we can scale up proven early warning systems. Just, you know, a lot can be improved simply in communication. Uh, 24-hour notice of an impending storm or heat wave can reduce financial damages by up to 30%. We can, you know, what if we could provide a climate safety net for all children? With the increasing frequency and severity of shocks, we're going to need some form of safety net social protection systems that are not just geared to economic shocks. We saw, uh, you know, after the global financial crisis, a lot of systems put in social protection systems to get to, uh, that were geared towards economic shocks. What about climatic ones and environmental ones too? So there are a host of really kind of radical game changers, but I will, you know, but I will end on the point that there's, there's so much that we can do uh, to improve resilience Obviously, at a, at a foundational level, that we're not, we have to uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions to address the long-term impacts. But there's a lot that we can do to protect children right now, including proving the resilience of key social services that they depend on most. Thank you, Nick. And Maria Pierre, I mean, this podcast is, as it says on the title, Business Fights Poverty. How can businesses use the tool and perhaps make better decisions? Good decisions are based on the correct understanding of the problem. And so this index is an incredible source of information on the risk factors that children face, which in turn makes it a useful tool for businesses to develop better informed decisions and actions. Um, we all have, uh, we will all have to work to ensure that today's children inherit a livable planet, and these include businesses as well. So there are three main ways that the Children's Climate Risk Index is useful for businesses. First of all, it gives them a comprehensive and compelling evidence for making the case internally for needing to accelerate action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and to address environmental degradation. It also provides detailed information about the scale, complexity, and nature of the risk for children. It ranks countries in terms of children's vulnerability to climate change and environmental hazards. What does this mean? This information is essential for businesses as it can inform their risk assessment process. It can help them identify where their business activities can contribute to the problem and therefore what actions to prioritize and take to prevent or mitigate against arms. Also, as Nick was just mentioning, it provides concrete suggestions on actions that can support the reduction of children's exposure to climate risk. 
This can inform, for example, projects or investments that businesses make in their proactive development efforts. So, for example, improving access to resilient water, sanitation and hygiene services can considerably reduce overall climate risk for 415 million children. So, for example, this index can help a company understand its impact on water and what it means for children and then prioritize solutions to decrease water consumption to, uh, for in countries where there is a high risk of water scarcity. One thing that I want to stress also is that while it is key that businesses reduce their emissions and transition to a green economy, it is also crucial that they do so in a manner that respects human and child rights. So another tool that businesses can use is um, the UNICEF and Global Child Forum's Child Rights and Business Atlas, which is a tool that can help businesses address the risk in their operations, supply chains and activities. Brilliant. So what I'll do is I'll put links to all of those pieces into the words that sit alongside this podcast. So if you're listening, um, you will be able to get hold of all of that piece of those pieces. So Maria Pierre, continuing on with that theme around business and action, what direct actions are you suggesting business should specifically take off the back of this research? Well, I encourage businesses to look at the at the index, first of all, and use it internally and with their peers to advocate ambitious climate action, but also to adapt their practices and policies. All businesses have different opportunities to make impact depending on their core business and where they operate. However, all businesses should first and foremost go faster and further in efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They should put together the E and the S in their sustainability strategies, making sure that children and human rights are considered from the outset and conducting human rights due diligence that integrates child rights in the green transition is an imperative. They should also address the negative impacts on the environment they should listen to and act on the views of children and young people. Children have you know, revealed the deep frustration that they feel at this intergenerational form of injustice, as well as their courage and willingness to challenge the status quo. But they're also acting themselves, coming up with solutions and innovations. So it is important that their voice is heard and acted on. Businesses should also recognize that children have a right to a healthy environment and take actions to respect it. They should talk about and publish what they're doing in order to help make this being the norm and the expected way of doing business. And also they should invest in actions that can reduce children's exposure to climate risk. Achieving the sustainable development goals, as you know, is a joint effort. To both of you, I mean, what do you see next sort of taking place? What's sort of on horizons that you're super excited about sort of diving deeply into? Thanks, Katie. Um, Well, so I think I'll start by saying that this is really only a starting point. What we're doing now is we're, 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 we're actually, it's, it's actually a call for more data uh, and a call for a coalition of organizations to get together. So maybe this is actually also a call to listeners to come together on climate data for children. And the CCI, CCRI is a global tool, but where this really gets interesting is where we can utilize subnational data, where we can add more data layers um, on other risk factors, where we can conduct projections. In fact, that's something that we're doing already is we're looking uh, with a group of climate scientists on how, depending on different pathways that we end up going, 
over the next 20, 30 years, how many more children would be at risk, depending on if we were ambitious or if we, it was more of a business as usual scenario. But yes, as I said, this is a call for data. So we'd like to create a platform where organizations uh, can participate in contributing and utilizing the data. And maybe even young people themselves could contribute to data and evidence, you know, what they're seeing on the ground in their communities. So this platform would bring all of this together. And this is something that we'd like to do in the run-up to COP26, because unless we're all working on this together across the UN, the private sector, academia, and civil society, and so we're looking at organizations across all of those different sectors uh, to come together on addressing this issue and any kind of data gap so that we can better understand um, the various risks that climate uh, change poses for children. So 2021 is a critical year for climate change. COP26 will be an important moment or now um, where the business leader will uh, tackle the climate crisis. And so we are determined to make sure that children and young people are front and center in the discussions and actions um, that will be taken for a fair and sustainable future. And this is of particular importance for when it comes to the need of accelerating the transition to a green economy. The transition needs to be just, and it needs to be just to children as well. More in the longer term, um, we want to continue to work with organizations and businesses to find ways to ensure that businesses put children at the heart of the environment, their uh, environmental and social action. And Maria Pierre, perhaps if you wouldn't mind, if somebody wanted to get involved or find out more, where should they go? What should they do? Um, sure. So the UNICEF website contains the um, Children's Climate Risk Index. On the same page, there is also an interactive atlas that allows user user to visualize the Children's Climate Risk Index. And so users can click on a specific country to see an interactive legend that shows the CCRI, the, um, uh, the child's vulnerability and the climate environmental exposure. People can also look at the Children's Rights and Business Atlas, which is available online. And so it is an interactive tool that helps uh, businesses understand, identify, and act on child rights risk. And also they can get in touch with me if they want to get involved or want to know more about this work. Well, Maria, Pierre and Nick, thank you so much for sharing your insights and that important information with us today. Um, For anybody listening, as I said earlier, I'll put all those links into the words that sit alongside this podcast. So a massive thank you very much to you both and um, best of luck with the work going forward. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 